Si Welcome everyone, you're listening to Daniel here on the D Report. Today we'll speak with Alfredo Acosta Figueroa, one of the founders of the Escuela de la Raza Unida, a school in Blythe, California, started in 1972. And also hear from Angelica Figueroa Rodriguez, a student that graduated from La Escuela de la Raza Unida. Alfredo, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Alfredo Figueroa, Acosta Figueroa. I was born in Blythe. I'm 87, going to be 87 years old. We're descendants here from the tribe of the Chimamuevi tribe. My father was from, from Sonora, member of the Yaquis, Yaqui tribe, Yoreme. So we've been working here uh, in Blythe and the areas uh, since the, the, they found the gold. My relations found the gold here in La Paz in 1862. So we're miners. So that's why I, I was mining all my life until around oh, 10 years ago, I retired. So anyway, we're the miners and, and so we were always told of our descendants, of our tradition, of our, uh, why we were the way we are, is we are, uh, uh, like I said, our tradition was the most important. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. What is the context from which the school named La Escuela de la Raza Unida comes from? So when we, we, my, my, one of my daughters was having a MAPA, a, a, a MECHA meeting at the uh, junior high school in 19, April the 6th, 1972. Uh, we had a MECHA, they had a MECHA meeting at noon with the supervisor, only they were showing a video for Nixon was eating grapes and we were picketing Nixon in Los Angeles at the Memorial Auditorium. So here comes the principal, somebody told him that they were showing a video of Nixon eating grapes and we were picketing him in, in Los Angeles. I was a member, I was the organizer of the United Farm Workers for the Palo Verde Valley and for over 10 years five dollars a week <laughs> and that wasn't I didn't pay for my cigars but anyway so when they threw her out I mean, I mean he comes in and they're showing the video and the 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 the, the advisors there also so the the principal just comes in and grabs it was my other daughter she was 14 years old grabs her by the neck an arm and threw her out of the door. She landed on her shoulder and it was very rude. There was over 40 members of Mecha in the room. They were so astonished. They had never seen anything. Well, nobody had ever seen anything like this. 
So, and then he got the, 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 the video and just stopped the machine, threw the machine down, the, show the video. So everybody was so astonished. So when they came, they came to the house telling my wife that what had happened to our, our daughter there at the, at the Black Junior High. It was very hard to believe because at first we thought maybe they were just making up stories, but no, it was all the, the all the students were telling the same story that they saw where she was thrown out out of there. So my daughter, my wife, she was so dazzled then, and so we said we're going to go and report this to the board of supervisors to the, the school board. And they went, we went to the board and the board just didn't pay no attention to us. We had over 700 people in the auditorium. They, we didn't fit. They had us just packed in like sardines. So, but we get to spoke, speak. And when nothing was uh, accomplished, because besides, we wanted the principal fired and we wanted eight more demands that we had been fighting for for a long time. So when they didn't, they didn't uh, consider none of them. So then my wife said, I thought I knew this. Let me see my wife here. Because she was, she had to go. So anyway, when my wife said, we will never send another one of our children to the public schools. We had nine. The lady you were talking to right now, but the, uh, Angelica, she gra had graduated from kindergarten. So she was the, the first kindergarten student to graduate. And uh, so, I didn't. I, I wasn't a, a teacher when I went to Palo Verde College. I went to be a mechanic, so my father used to want for us to take care of the trucks and take care of the the equipment, you know. So I had to be a mechanic. So that's what I took. I didn't know how to be an educator. What could we teach him? What could we teach? You know, my wife thought, well, we'll we'll get the, we'll get a teacher to come and teach all our kids. So. When we didn't do that, the good thing that we had was that uh, a lot of contacts through Cesar Chavez, because we had his office here, uh, and through MAPA, Bert Corona. Bert Corona was, okay. Bert Corona was, was uh, uh, the main guy that, uh, that uh, took us to the, the different places, because I, used to go, you know, in, in all these campaigns. So uh, when we were exposing all this, people started coming, students from the universities and all that. As a matter of fact, the first uh, director for the Escuela Rasamida was Mike Zimmerman from UCR. And his assistant was 
Juan Ulloa from UCR. And Juan Ulloa, you know, he's a retired Superior Court judge in Imperial Valley. So we were able to, and where were we going to have the school? So we started the school May the 1st of 1972 at the Blythe Park, Blythe City Park. So the way we say the famous words, a la sombra de un árbol, una aula escolar. At the shade of every tree, there was a classroom. And who were the teachers? The college students taught the high school. The high school taught the elementary school. So everybody was a teacher and everybody was a student. It was the most uh, in the history that we know uh, that this started under the shade of every tree. But we knew that in Mexico, they didn't, some of the places used to teach in the, in the, the trees also under the shade of every trees. So we knew that it, it was very hard to continue there under the shade of trees. The escuela, the, 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 the headquarters of the escuela was the United Farm Worker Office on Main Street. And the, the, the community room was the teen post because we were very involved in the community services. And so we were able to, to, to uh, use those facilities, but then we said we need a, a building, not the shade of every tree. Because uh, in June, that's when we had the first graduations. So we had, fortunately, we had some contacts, some ex-nuns, and, and they knew of the people that were the owners of a building that used to be the old post office building. So they went all the way to Chicago to let them know that we wanted to buy the, 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 the old post office building. And we did at, at 337, at 137 North Broadway, it's where Escuela has been since, since, uh, May the, since uh, June and 1972. And here's where we have our first, we had the first, uh, this is our 40th, 40th anniversary. Uh, so we'll have our 50th anniversary uh, next year, <laughs> 2022. So now the Escuela Razonina is not uh, uh, a escuela right now that they, uh, for uh, like alternative school, it's um, tied in now to the daycare centers and early early centers. So, um, but it served its purpose. No, none of our nine kids. Oh, oh, thank you, my daughter. K-E-R-U. We were the second bilingual radio station in the United States. Oh, no, we're in California, so I don't know how the United States. Besides the, uh, the, the Radio Bilingue in Fresno. So uh, that happened in 82. So anyway, so this really uh, developed the conscience of the people. 
we were very, very involved in taking the students and they had a big ballet for Corico. We had, uh, and we would go into different uh, universities to participate in the conferences, especially with MAPA and the United Farm Workers Struggle. We would go to the strikes in Coachella, the strikes in India, I mean, in, in, in uh, Imperial Valley. And so, and we even took them to Sacramento and in Sacramento, they with Jerry Brown and all that. So we were, we had very good contacts. So it it just was very successful, and so we were tied in with the also uh, uh, well in Crystal City, Texas, they they, they started the the the, the Squillers too, and uh, so uh, and then, then we were tied in too with the. Uh, Corky Gonzalez in, in, uh, in uh, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, especially when they had the conference over there. They had a conference, a Chicano conference, and Corky Gonzalez made his famous uh, poem, I am Joaquin. So, oh man, when the students came from the conference hollering, I am Joaquin, and La Cuna Yaslan with uh, Alorista. It was, that just made us more involved in pursuing the truth of all the creation story. Because it was very good, because we are descendants. My great great grandmother was cousin of Joaquin Morrieta, born in Trinchera, Sonora. So that's why I knew the story when I was nine years old, 10 years old. I was. I used to hear my folks talk about Joaquin Murrieta and how our grandfather and grand great, uh, I mean, and our, our grand uncles were thrown in jail in Arizona in the mining towns across the river here in Colorado uh, because they sang El Corrido de Joaquin Murrieta. When you sang, yeah, and you know, you would get inside a place or a bar or something. You, and here, oh, you'd sing it, it was outlawed. And it was, they barely stopped it not too long ago uh, where they couldn't arrest you because you sang it. Even uh, Pedro J. Gonzalez, a los madrugadores, Pedro J. Gonzalez, los madrugadores. He was one of the first locutores uh, in the radio in Los Angeles. In 1927, 28, around there. And one of the first things they told him, you cannot play El Corrido Joaquin Marrieta and you cannot play Mexico Febrero 23. That's when Pancho Villa, uh, they couldn't capture Pancho Villa when they went to, to attack, uh, uh, to, to get Pancho Villa in 1915, 1916. So that's why. We were always very conscious, and that's what made us do what we have done. That's why they always used to say, watch out where the Figueroa's, because they knew that right there, we were able to defend ourselves. Because my father was, a, he was very involved in the strikes, the, the, the mining strikes like that. So, uh, we were always involved in, in unions. My father used to say, 
the worst way you can do is not pay a decent wage to your workers. Or the biggest enemy you have is your boss. So we never did have a boss and we never did have, we were always together, always to be joined together. So the Escuela de Sonia was a, gave us that big boost because uh, there we had people from coming from a lot of places for so many years, it just blossomed. It just blossomed, blossomed, blossomed. You told us a little bit about the incident that sparked the yes. reaction to, to say, I will not expose my children to this type of schooling. And this is 1972. And in 1972, you also mentioned that there, there's just a lot of stuff going. I mean, this is this is right at, I would say, I don't know if it's fair to say like the 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 height of the Chicano movement of the civil yes. rights movement. So over there in Blythe, you also mentioned that in Blythe there is the farm worker movement uh, connected to the UFW, the the key figures of Dolores Huerta, Cesar Chavez. The whole movimiento is in is is in the community. Was there anything prior to that? to 1972 that could have also, oh, I'm trying to say like, for example, it was it was this reaction like uh, uh, a synchronizing of two things, you know, the, the fact that this happened to your daughter, but there was also a movement or, or do you think the school could have been born on its own without all the things that were happening at that time? No, that really brought us to, to uh, and that's because my wife was very, uh, stern on her conviction, she said, no, we'll never send our children to public school. And that's what Bert Corona always used to say. The public schools is where we are brainwashed. We're not given the correct history that we have. So that the school was really, it was, it was the spark plug that burst it like Mecha. Mecha with a flint, Mecha with thick butt. So that's it. That was it. So then the students. Before, excuse me. Before oh, uh, we had the uh, AWOC, Agriculture Workers Committee, and uh, and uh, we even had uh, Eduardo Quevedo, Doctor, uh, and he was wanted to uh, start a union and all that. But it wasn't until Caesar Chavez. So the AWOC and Caesar Chavez started in 1962. In 1965 was the first strike in Coachella, 1965 during the, the, the Grape Strike. So that's what, I, that's what it was. So then the movement is happening and the school context, as you mentioned, your daughter and, and the, I'm assuming the youth are, are building, um, is it a Mecha or Mapa club that is being organized? Yes, at the we, we had... But it was Mecha that was showing a, a video, but it was through Mapa's video that we had taken in Los Angeles and, and showing in where Nixon uh, was eating these grapes outside of the, 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 the uh, auditorium there, there in, uh, in Los Angeles. And that's, uh, and that's why they, they didn't, uh, I mean, the, 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 the principal didn't like that they were showing that. Because it was an established MAPA, I mean, Mecha, Mecha meeting 
with an advisor, the major advisor, and then it, it, it was during the lunchtime. So it was, everything was legal, except they, his name was Earl Trout. He didn't want to have none of those videos being shown to the students of Mecha. And in that process of building the community school, you mentioned that there was also other schools throughout the Southwest that were kind of doing something similar, you know, building a community-centered schooling that was in rejection of what the, the public school had to offer at that time. At the beginning, were you in dialogue with these other schools or were you just building it basically home? Context at the beginning, life? yes, at the beginning, we were in dialogue with, with them people. That's why we were able to touch base with Corky when he had his Tatelolco, La Telolco in Denver, Colorado. Oh, yeah, that was so nice. See, Tatelolco, we know that it's, it's by in Mexico, but it's here. This is right here in, in, the, in the Palo Verde Valley is where the island of Aslan used to be. So Tlatelolco is the island of Aslan, but they took it to Mexico City. This knowledge from here when they went all the way from the Colorado River. And we had relations with the people there in Fresno. The people there in Fresno, Tomas, Dr. Tomas, um, well, I can't remember his last name, but anyway, they started some schools there, but none of the other schools continued like we continued. They were just for a little while, you know, like in Los Angeles during the, the walkouts, they wanted to start their own schools, but they didn't start their own schools. You know, they, they, were there. they had those Catholic schools and then they, they, they so no, they didn't continue. Uh, we were the only ones that you can say had celebrated 40th anniversary. <laughs> Yes, that's really interesting because, as you mentioned, most of the other schools um, didn't have the livelihood, the longevity that that the Escuela de Razonida has. And can you tell us a little bit about that early period? For example, as you mentioned, there was a lot of energy uh, to support a lot of the grassroots movements from colleges, from communities. And this is the 19, late 60s and, and, and early to mid 70s. But from what I've kind of caught a lot of the trends, that energy kind of subsides like into the 80s. How were you as a school able to keep it going during that change? We were able to keep it going because we started then getting some people that would write proposals and, and we would get uh, donations and especially with the people that were teaching, the people that were teaching wouldn't charge. These were people that, like I said, ex-nuns, and we had some ex-priests too <laughs> that participated. And we had these people that were uh, college students that had were would participate maybe for six months out of the year, or the, and we we would just try to raise monies. So we could keep them and find them houses that they would house them to, to be there, living there for the time they would be teaching at the escuela. So it was a real, real concentrated effort without getting any state funds from the money from the State Department of Education. 
the only thing we did with the Department of Education was to try to get the license for the teachers so it would be recognized by the state teachers so they could become teachers. And that's why the graduates, the graduates from the Escuela de Sonida, they were officially like graduates from the regular public school. And the graduation was recognized by the public schools because we had a lot of connections at that time in the California State Department of Education. What grades did you cover uh, in that school? You started, was it kindergarten to sixth grade or all the way to high school? To the high school, to, to the high school. So that's why I said, uh, Angelica here right by me, she, she was in the teeny garden and then and, uh, she graduated and she graduated from the high school here. And she continued going to, to San Marino State College. How many students did you have in the school? Yeah, we never did have too many because it was always too small of a school and we didn't wanna have a big amount of students. The, the students that would come would be their parents were thinking the same things that we were thinking that not to send them to public schools. So would you say you had an average of like what, 20 students, 30 students? No, we had, we had around how, how many? About 30 all the time. That's still a pretty good sized school. I mean, to oh, run. No, 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 you betcha. You betcha. And they were, and the, but the best thing was that they were all active. You know, when there was, we had to go and make a picket line order. Here, they, we would all go in a caravan. And so that was good. As a matter of fact, Caesar Chavez, even had a bus, gave us a bus so we could have a bus here. So when, you know, we would go to Phoenix or we would go to Yuma, we would go to Imperial Valley, San Diego, uh, thanks to the bus that uh, Caesar had here with a, a bus driver. Alfredo, your daughter went to the school. Do you think she would want to tell us a little bit about her experience while she was in the school? Well, she's right here, so she. Angeli, would would you like to tell us a little bit about your experience in the school? Are you comfortable with that? Okay, my name is well, Angelica Figueroa Rodriguez, and um, I'm the daughter of Alfredo Figueroa. Um, I started the school at kindergarten. They took me out of school. We were I was halfway through. They took me out, and I um, we took, well, I was at the school, and I graduated. So, 1984. And um, yes, it was a great experience. Um, I never, I never got to feel, um, I never got to feel, I, I didn't know a lot of things that they, so I always thought like I was at home because everything was, you know, family and uh, no discrimination. It was, um, so yes, I, I, I had a great upbringing. So it was, it was awesome to be part of the Escuela de la Sanidad. And I was able to have the mentality of, of being um, united. No, no discrimination. I didn't understand that what discrimination was. You know how they hit just besides the farm workers. We fight. You know because Cesar Chavez used to come, and my dad was part of the United Farm Workers, and how they did discriminate against us. But so we learned to um, not understand that uh, the hate. We didn't understand why there was so much hate. So I was, I'm glad to be up in. Yeah, no. So now I share that you know with my kids and stuff that. There shouldn't be no, so not right now how we're all talking about that, you know, no discrimination. Um, it's hard for me to believe like it's very starting now, you know, this has been going on for years, but we didn't get to feel that because I went to the escuela. 
So I, I, I was always, everybody's equal. What were the classes like? Like what kind of lessons or oh, activities do you remember? We did all the activities. The activities was ballet florico. We used to have people come down from like my dad said from UCR and stuff and teach us ballet. That's how we raised our money. So we'd go perform for people and, and do the ballet. And we saw burritos, you know, so we knew how to do that. We were that's why we became social people because we had to be out there in front of Albertsons in front of all these stores. Burrito. Saturday, what are we going to do this weekend? We're going to make burritos. So we, we actually, the school I had, our weekends planned out for us because we were always moving, 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 moving. Okay, it's burrito sale this weekend, car wash this weekend. Um, you know, it was always, we knew that we had to make money for the escuela. So that gave us kind of like a pride to kind of like, you know, we got to pay for it. It gave us a, I mean, we had to clean our school. We cleaned it every day. Whoever came late had a mop and sweep. <laughs> um, there was uh so we had little snack shacks inside there so that's how they taught us how to do money exchange because we had a little store there and so that was our uh, you know like math everything was always on uh, the hue of talents the teachers would be like okay so if you're gonna go you're gonna we'll go work you know you gotta know how much people are gonna give you back kind of made it like hands-on instead of looking at a book and reading it and and they give us a hands-on which was good so we all kind of understood that and then the story writing was just experiences that we were feeling that you know this experience that we we're dealing with and that those would be our store English writing. So it was kind of, and the plus, you know, they gave us regular, we read books and stuff. So, but it was more, it was uh, more, I think it was more, um, we made floats for them. We had participated in the parades. So we kind of had a lot of activities going on like that. A lot of energy. And would you say that like most of the students um, were able to, to share, I guess, the same feeling that you're feeling in the sense that like as a default, the overall, like, I don't know, student experience would be similar to yours or is that because your dad was so active? Oh, no. Yeah, no, no. They you, you, we, they would feel the same way, yes. And you know that we talk about it all the time because um, a lot of the, our, the students that went there, like they're, they're lawyers. And so we all communicate with each other and all we do is talk about it with each other. You remember this? Remember that? And, you know, and they're all also, you know, they're in movements and they support um everything that's going around around them so it's no yeah no we, I have one of my uh, my friends she's still here she went and got married in Sacramento had her kids raised and now she works back with me here at the radio station again I've always been here at the radio station for KERU so she came back and you know so we don't know nothing but but the square that's like our family home where everybody comes back you know and everybody talks about the same thing oh you remember when you were in Esquela? So we have friends, yeah, in San Diego and, and, and San Francisco. We all communicate with each other and talk. You remember this? Remember that? So, yes. As, as you mentioned that the school is still running, what are your thoughts regarding the new generation of students? Um, right now, it's not operate. It's not as a, they're not having students there anymore right now because um, my sister has as a daycare center headquarters. So she is... Um, she has daycare centers, uh, three of them that she's operating. So that, the, so she had had more time for, there's not too many volunteers anymore. So there was no more teachers to volunteer for the school at this moment. So, but it's still there. We're still inside there. The radio station's still in the back. You know, I still go over there every day. So yeah, no. So the school is, is on pause. It's uh, on pause. Yes. What does it look like in, in terms of like post COVID? Are you guys working to organize an, a reopening or? 
um you know what she's trying to i think what she wants to do is is do like an adult education so it had to be she said it had to be on a pause for about two years two three years so she could open up for the adult education she wants to educate the um so they can graduate a lot of the people i think there's still a need uh for their just alternative spaces spaces that are healthy and from what i understand uh, oh yes that's some of the the strengths of the school, as, as you described it, the, the space, the, 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 the sheltering almost of some of the things that were being experienced in the regular public school system and how the school was able to combat that discrimination and, and unequal treatment. What's interesting, I think about it is that it, it seems that this school was um, initiated out of, out of a response to protect one child, but it really ultimately provided oh, a yes. space for many children. Correct. Right. Yes, it sure did. So Alfredo, I was hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit about just some of the directions that you think about, you know, the way that the school was able to provide a space of alternative education, but also, you know, um, where we are. You know, I was thinking about when I reached out to you originally, I reached out to you because um, I, I got to hear you speak a couple of years ago uh, when you came to UC Riverside, but uh, I was also surprised. I didn't know that you had participated in, in being one of the key founders of the La Escuela uh, Razonida. And as people write about La Escuela, they write about it in education circles, like looking at past school systems, curriculum that were designed to provide um, a community-based education. And when I hear you speak about that, it seems that you were you were part of that community that was able to make it happen, to make a school that provided for the needs of the community uh, when the public school, the state-funded school was unable to do so. So I was hoping you could give me your thoughts, share with us your thoughts on, on where we are in education in general. Well, right now in education, you know, it's what's happening over there in the South and all that. They don't even want to mention the history of slavery or history. So it's very, California is, is a leader. California is a leader in showing our history, telling our history right. It's not like, uh, you know, it's like when they say, yes, Columbus discovered America. Well, that's so ridiculous. You know, when I was a kid, I say, how can you? And so who was here? You know, and the whole thing of Thanksgiving. So all this, how could you be there? That were you thanking the people that were gonna, uh, you know, slaughter you and, and and do all that thing that happened? So now, right now, with the uh, as I'm talking about overall the United States thinking, it's uh, the the, the Anglo-sized people are are. are are they want to go back to the old regime of the dominating and the, the, the white supremacy? That's why they used to say during the 19, 1849s, from sea to shiny sea, see the manifest destiny. God has has uh, provided us with the, these these uh, superiorities, so we own from sea to shiny sea. So it's very important that we continue letting the students know the truth, but the truth with facts. That's why one of our 
one of my, my my main my main guys that used to be in the old days was Draglin, and his name was Jess the Facts. You see, Joe Friday. So he would tell the lady, please don't tell me me thought this, because we're getting the facts to proceed and take care of this case. So that was it's like right now we are in 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 a very critical situation in the United States. We know that. But California, thanks to California's new uh, the, the people that have absorbed all this, we are having uh, uh, change and uh, we're fighting the California Department of Education and all that. They're fighting all this superiorities from the deep south. They're, they're, they want to continue with their superiority. So, Education is the basis. Education is the basis. So this is where we are continuing our struggle. Well, Alfredo, I wanna thank you. I wanna pause here and thank you very much for uh, sharing this information with me and, and the audience today. It's our pleasure. And for more information, the best information would be, uh, facts rather, would be for you to come personally so you can see the sites and understand a little now, I guess you do. And so you can see how the codices reflect to the sites here and we can interpret them with our oral indigenous tradition too. I would love that. I would, let's see if we can make that happen, Alfredo. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. You have just finished hearing a conversation with Alfredo Acosta Figueroa and Angelica Figueroa Rodriguez. We spoke about the school, La Escuela de la Raza Unida, established in 1972, that was born out of a movement and a specific incident, and moved forward, was able to build a space with a community of Blythe, California, could send their children to be educated in a safer place, in a setting that was much more nurturing and respectful of their children and their respective families. This would be a place that would contrast the public school system that had historically treated Mexican-American and Chicana and Chicano students with respect, unequal treatment, and physical, emotional, and intellectual violence. La Escuela de Raza Unida is important for many reasons. For me, one of the most significant has to do with it is a marker of a moment in time of cultural renaissance, cultural resistance, and growth. We can call it the civil rights movement or the Chicana movement. But the point is that multiple communities throughout the Southwest and the United States in general took it upon themselves to build, to build new places, creative locations that would reflect the type of respect and empowerment that was necessary for them to thrive. Hopefully I will get an opportunity to extend this conversation further in revisiting this topic. For now, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. You can check out the website dreport.org to review the archive of past segments. I hope you found this conversation of interest and value and take it to your respective circles to continue. Stay safe and stay strong and join us again next week.